This audio is brought to you by Business Radio, powered by Wharton, originally airing on SiriusXM. This is Randy Zuckerberg Means Business on Business Radio. Hi, everyone. Randy Zuckerberg here, host of Randy Zuckerberg Means Business on Sirius XM Business Radio 132. Happy Earth Day, first of all. Um, I know I woke up this morning and started reading a very interesting op-ed by the president of MIT that appeared in the Boston Globe. Uh, the op-ed was titled, Has Coronavirus Finally Taught Us to Listen to Science? And um, it was interesting because it talked about how Truly, with the current crisis, our deepest hope is in science. We've put our faith in the people who practice science uh, with healthcare workers and the system. And it also talked a lot about how science is our best warning system. And while we can regret missing some of the warnings here, um, let's not repeat that with climate change and some of the things going on with the earth. So I highly encourage you to check out that piece. It was a a really interesting and and thought-provoking start to my day. I'm thrilled to introduce our first guest. Today's show, we're going to spend the entire hour talking about telehealth and how coronavirus is normalizing the use of electronic information and telecommunications technology to support healthcare. Telemedicine has been steadily on the rise for many years now. People worldwide have been using it, but now in this time of crisis when we're all in a lockdown and people still need medical consultations, remote healthcare has become an increasingly important part of the response, speeding up the telemedicine trend that was already underway. With that, I'm thrilled to introduce our first of three incredible guests on today's show. Uh, Our first guest, who's going to talk to us about the current crisis, some of the policy issues that are going on, and really what telemedicine, the promise of telemedicine, is Anne Mon Johnson, CEO of the American Telemedicine Association. Anne, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, Randy, for having me. It's a pleasure to be with you. Anne has an incredible background launching, building, leading companies that have been innovators in using healthcare technology and data. And maybe before we get into everything, can you tell us what does your current kind of work from home situation look like? Give us the, paint us a picture. Well, I have tried to do as many of us do, which is have a routine. So, you know, the exercise in the morning and then get all cleaned up so that you can do as many phone calls and video calls as possible. (laughs) And then stay away from the refrigerator. Oh, gosh, that's that's my my biggest thing also. Well, we have entered the phase of the quarantine. Uh, I don't know. It feels like we've been in it for three years now or something where um, my son now has a a dead bee as a pet in a jar. So that's that's where we are in our household. So it sounds like you're you're way ahead of me. And so, Anne, take us through what is the American Telemedicine Association, and who who are your members? What are you, what are you doing? So the ATA is the longest standing organization that's focused exclusively on the dissemination of telehealth, and our members represent the diversity of our industry, including delivery systems, academic medical centers, pediatric facilities, payers or insurance companies as well as a range of solution providers, um, ones that are becoming household names like Teladoc Health or Amwell, 
including others that are more AI-driven, such as Babylon Health or digital therapeutics companies like WellDoc or Happify. So it's quite the gamut as you think about telehealth. And while the organization has been around for 25 years, I think it's safe to say that this is really a very unique point for all of us. Um, prior to the COVID um, crisis, the engagement in telehealth was pretty low. It was pretty anemic. And now we're seeing an incredible growth, as you indicated. So it's been pretty exciting, but uh, not the best of circumstances, but it's really inspiring to see how the members have really risen to the occasion. Absolutely. And maybe you can set the scene for us of what the telemedicine landscape looked like a few months ago versus what it looks like right now and, and where you think it'll be. So a few months ago, we had on average, I think that depending on what surveys you looked at, anywhere from 10 to 15% of both consumers and clinicians that were using telehealth services. And so that includes um, synchronous, you know, um, face-to-face audiovisual, as well as asynchronous, or the equivalent would be texting or chatbots. And um, that was a pretty low uptake considering the technology has been around in some way, shape, or form for 25 years. Today, I'd say it's quite different. What we're seeing is a range of applications, starting with the number of uh, chatbot or AI-forward services that are being offered to help consumers understand whether or not the symptoms they have are indicative of covid Um, and helping them triage to specific facilities for follow-up care or even triage into a queue to speak to a clinician real-time. So those types of services, the uh, chat-forward services, have really been instrumental in helping delivery systems scale. So we have been really excited about the use. For example, one company in a 10-day period had had close to 200,000 chat-forward sessions. That's astronomical, right? It's a huge growth. Um, I would say the other thing that's happened is that we've seen a lot of uptake on the part of clinicians. So a number of physicians who may have been naysayers historically about telehealth, thinking they couldn't provide the same level of care or service to their patients, are more than pleasantly surprised to see what they can do with their patients, even if they can't lay hands on them. So that's been pretty terrific as well. So we're seeing it Um, being used by physician practices. Um, Payers are uh, making this available to their members. Obviously, large employers who've been really at the forefront of ensuring that their employees have access to services that are able to um, really uh, are uh, more more, uh, broader scope of services to their employees, offering that virtually digital health tools, I think, is really taken off as well. Mm. And I'm curious, um, maybe you can take us through why telehealth is such an important tool right now in fighting coronavirus and also for even for people who are not uh, directly affected by coronavirus, um, maybe some of the surprising ways that you're seeing uh, doctors and and practices using telemedicine now to, to treat other patients. Sure. So I think the first um, thing to appreciate is that part of the opportunity with social distancing or the obligation we have is to still ensure that people, many of whom are alone or isolated and very, very frightened by what's happening, that they're still able to access services. 
So that is one element that we see really um, taking off. The other is that, likewise, there are a number of people who have had to delay services, um, a number of elective procedures, um, ones that were viewed as non-urgent, that those folks are still able to connect with their clinicians in a meaningful fashion and continue to have some capability or ability of uh, speaking and engaging with them. We're also seeing the um, surge of services, uh, which has been very interesting in terms of physical therapy, for example, that is done virtually. So if you think about people who have to continue a program or a regime to make sure that they have complete recovery from a procedure or complete recovery from an injury, things like physical therapy have just taken off virtually. And then finally, I'd be remiss in the whole area of mental health services. The ATA has a very active uh, group in telemental health, and what they found in establishing their practice guidelines in between was that behavioral services done virtually are as good, if not better, than face-to-face. And certainly what we're seeing um, in terms of the response, the need for consumers, Americans across the country, to have access to services uh, so that they are able to mitigate the sense of loneliness or isolation or just stress and anxiety associated with the emergency is really important. Mm, I'm actually glad you you mentioned that because I have j- jotted down here in my notes mental health with a question mark to to really talk about that and it's interesting even in our own household um, my uh, my children they're now doing occupational therapy over video chat I mean it's really fascinating to see how quickly so many of these businesses and behaviors have pivoted. Um, do you think, Anne, that we're going to see permanent changes from this? Do you think that some practices um, will kind of retain some of their, their telemedicine practices beyond the current pandemic? Do you think mental health will play out more online? What, what are your thoughts for the long term? So remember, Randy, that what has happened pre-pandemic is that we had an insufficient supply of clinicians to take care of the existing needs of the country, and in fact, across the the world. So if you look at mental health in particular, pre-pandemic, there were less than, um, there were only um, 25% of counties in the U.S. that had um, services available, clinicians available to consumers, and yet one out of five Americans were um, very much in need, and that was pre-pandemic, and now, of course, that number has increased. So I think if you look at the the fact that we have insufficient clinicians, insufficient workforce to deal with our population that now is in complete crisis um, with this uh, pandemic, I think we're going to see those kind of services stick. I don't think they're going to go away. Will it be at the range that we're seeing right now or the intensity? I think that remains to be seen. But I do think that while... Um, Many consumers have availed themselves of virtual services, telehealth services. We've also been interested in how it's been taken up by clinicians as well. And again, as I mentioned before, how many of them are very pleasantly surprised at how successful it can be to help them, even in the uh, well child exams, small kids, and being Mm -hmm. able to interact over a video, you know, FaceTime equivalent of your computer seeing them on a screen and for clinicians to be able to say, oh, I really can do a lot that maybe I didn't think I could do if I wasn't seeing someone in person. 
Absolutely. Um, and I want to jump over to some of the policy and the issues right now around with the CARES Act. For anyone who's just joining us, you're listening to Randy Zuckerberg Means Business here on SiriusXM Business Radio. We're speaking with Ann Mon Johnson, CEO of the American Telemedicine Association. Um, and I maybe you can take us a little bit through the CARES Act by Congress. Uh, what does this mean? What role has the ATA been playing? So the ATA is really unique as an organization because we have a couple of different ways that we serve the industry. The first is on policy and advocacy. The second is in tools and resources and enabling clinicians and um, delivery systems, others to really avail themselves of uh, the different services and ensure that they're providing them in a high-quality fashion. So from a policy perspective, I'll say that we've really been front and center in informing and providing um, suggestions in terms of what should be addressed first. And what we like to say is that we're at a time now where the relaxed regulations are really allowing us to catch up with technology. In other words, technology has been able to do a lot more than regulations that were put in place 20 years ago. Um, enabled us to do. A great example of that is what we call originating site. And there were restrictions associated with whether or not um, a service could be rendered to a patient, whether or not a provider would be reimbursed associated with where the service was being um, given. And now what we're seeing is that because of the waivers that have been in place, people can now get care where they are and when they need it, which is a really important point. Our goal going forward is to ensure that the relaxation in regulations that happen at the federal level as well as efforts at the state level remain in place. And so this is really going to be a multi-prong affair in terms of ensuring that the stories of the successes um, are really publicized and pointed out and underscored so that we can justify not just with data but with stories the value that telehealth has provided in this period and how it can be maintained going forward. Perfect. And thank you so much for joining us. Where can our listeners go to keep up with you and and all of the great work coming out of the ATA? So, of course, we have our website, americantelemed.org, and we also have our um, uh, uh, LinkedIn and uh, Twitter pages as well. So appreciate the opportunity. And as your audience is a business audience, I would say that we've seen over one and a half times more investment in digital health in the first quarter of this year than we did last year. So there's a lot of opportunity out there to do it right, and we're excited about that. Absolutely. This is a huge area of economic opportunity and investment. Ann Mon Johnson, thank you so much for joining us on our show today and hope to connect with you again soon. Thank you so much, Randy. Be safe. For more guest interviews, check out our Wharton Business Radio Highlights podcast on iTunes and Google Play. 